Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 138 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Cornhusker fans and college football fans. Hello, everybody. We are back. Uh, Father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. And we are here today to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, uh, their loss to Michigan, as well as the things that are going on in the national world of college football uh, and the big games coming up this weekend. That's right. All right. And before we dive into all that, we've got our uh, beverages to crack here. Uh, I've got my uh, Kona Brewing Company Longboard Island Lager once again. Very good. And I have uh, a Yingling uh, that I just recently picked up and finally got to open that uh, case of beer that I've been traveling with for a little bit. So I'm ready to enjoy some Yingling. All right. Here we go. All righty. If I can do it without breaking it open. There we go. I got it. <laughs> good job. Yes, I love this lager. It's good. All right. Um, so, of course, Nebraska played against Michigan in the big house this past weekend. Um, and us, both of us, uh, spending much of our lives in Michigan, you raising your family there. Uh, obviously, we have a connection with the University of Michigan and Michigan State and those fans more so than most other teams in the Big Ten that we play. Uh, and it was pretty obvious that Nebraska was going to lose this one. Uh, on our previous podcast, you predicted that we would lose 55-3, uh, to three, uh, while I predicted that we would lose 38-10. to 10. Uh, And it being closer to my score uh, with a total <laughs> of 34-3. to three. Because you're the level-headed one of the two of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm the. I'm the intensely emotional nut. <laughs> that that you are. That you are. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I I kind of expected based on the previous uh, game against Minnesota that we would see a continuation where uh, the offense would really struggle, uh, but that our defense could slow them down. Because um, just the previous week, Michigan had played against Rutgers um, and had some struggles early. Um, and that proved to be mostly true in that, you know, the defense did, uh, you know, three and out them in certain situations and keep them from scoring. Uh, but the offense was really inept in this particular game. And we had an injury to our second string quarterback, Chubba Purdy. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, I didn't watch much of the game, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> well, and 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 then our offensive coordinator got laid out and couldn't even stand without a support. So then we didn't have an offensive coordinator for a while, and then he eventually was able to somehow, with assistance, get himself up to the the box, and he called plays from the the coach's box up up at the top of the stadium in the second half, probably because he was able to get an elevator ride and then assistance uh, into the box. Yeah. I, I hadn't really been following the whole situation with Mark Whipple, but I guess he has had some health struggles earlier in this year. Um, and getting... Oh, yes. He's had blood clots and stuff. He's been coaching from a from a golf cart most of the season. Huh. Okay. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, he took a he took a hit, and good on him that he, you know, uh, tried to keep going, you know, and kept calling the plays and everything. You know, that's a – that's a typical well, football coach. I mean, there was a, right. There was a few plays that, 
you know, at the end of the uh, at the end of the uh, half, just before halftime, that he was unable to call the plays, and there was reasonable expectation that he was not going to make it back out, uh, and so um, you know, uh, the, either um, uh, Mickey or uh, the uh, assistant offensive coach, uh, who who is the only one that we have that has history of being a coordinator was going to take the play sheet and go. Right. So, uh, it turned out that, that, that there were only like three or four plays that, that the, uh, the other fellow had to had whose name I can't even remember, um, had to call and and then, and then, uh, Whipple got back mm-hmm. and, and did call the rest of it, but I'm sure he was in pain. Oh yeah. You know, I'm sure he, he got, was. He got laid out. I mean, he got <laughs> smacked. Cause he's, he's already, you know, a little old and slow. And, uh, and then that, that, that came up on him so fast. He just, he wasn't getting away. I'm surprised he didn't just buckle a leg to <laughs> right. be honest with you. Yeah. Well, reminds me, I forget which game it was. Um, but there was one where there's this old ref who was out on the field and he doesn't, there's players coming towards him and he doesn't even try to like go back. So they just like right. fall on him and he goes down and it looked like it hurt him pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I remember that. I think I remember that game. But yes, that's 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 tough when that happens. And speaking of that uh freak accident sort of things, the whole situation with Chubba Purdy was very strange to me where he go this this was on our of course the one drive where we actually got something going uh and we're in the red zone, and then he runs forward and goes for a slide but kind of catches yes. his knee in a weird way on the slide and gets hit a yes. little bit. And then he's suddenly yep. gripping his legs and stuff. And it's like, how do you injure yourself and put yourself out of the, I, w- I would love to see the statistics. I think it's surprisingly high. Really? I'm serious. I, I, oh my gosh. Uh, and here's why turf more so than natural grass. Okay. Is, is grippy, right? Like uh, most fields are field turf which have that combination of sand and, uh, you know, a um, cryogenically ground rubber. And so there's a grip to it. And these guys keep trying to slide with their legs sliding first, like you're sliding into a base, the traditional, you know, baseball slide into the, into the, uh, you know, the second base or whatever. Right. Right. Well, if you're going to slide, you should dive. Okay, that's the natural thing. You you already are running the football. You have a forward lean. You should dive forward to get as many yards as you possibly can and then and then be done with it. And I have seen more quarterbacks not get injured to the degree that Chubby did because it sounds like Chubba uh hurt himself quite badly and and he's going to be out this week and 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 maybe a few more weeks, right? So, um but but I've seen plenty of them tweak his leg, you know, doing that same damn slide thing. The headline I saw said that Chubba is out for the season. Like it's already the case. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen that. So that's news to me. That's interesting. Okay. Well, uh, because when they, when you go to slide, you, you have to get your whole lower body in front of your torso, right? And then slide. Uh, and then you, if you don't get enough um, air, if you don't get enough height, on those legs, one of those legs is going to catch. It's going to land on the ground first while you still have forward momentum. 
Well, if you don't bend your leg right, or if or if by then you have contact with another player in or around that area, you run the risk of that leg not being able to move naturally, right? Bend, and voila, you got a damaged ankle, damaged knee, whatever. I I understand your point there, but I don't think them diving headfirst forward uh, when you're adding into the equation that there are uh, enemy players, you know, right around sometimes who are already, you know, diving towards you to tackle you, you know, if, if you're going ahead first, you're in- increasing the possibility of injuries that way. Well, possibly, but my argument would be that, yeah, you're increasing the chance that you're going to have contact with somebody, but if somebody is diving at you, uh, okay. When you're going, when you're, uh, you know, um, uh, diving to the ground, then they're going to end up getting a penalty for that. I mean, that's, that, that's good. That's likely to lead to, to a spearing or a targeting call. So in my opinion, most coaches would not teach that, right. They, they would, they would tell somebody to do everything they could to avoid that contact. So I'm, I, my argument is still that, that, uh, those, uh, quarterbacks should, should, you know, go to the ground, just go to the ground, just get, get your ass to your knees and get that play whistled dead as fast as possible. None of this sliding crap. Okay. But right. uh, that's just me. All that's right. maybe that's a little too old school. And, and I get it. It's, if you're not, if you don't attempt to do the slide, then, you, then it's not defined as, as giving yourself up. Right. And so then they would argue, well, he was still a runner. So he was open to be tackled. Uh, whereas if, if, if he's attempting to slide, then everybody's supposed to back off and just let him do it. Right. Um, and that, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate, I hate all those rules and those rules didn't exist when I played football and, and, you know, they came many, many years later and, uh, they're just bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're new, so they're bad, says no, the old bad. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Because they hate football. Uh, anyway. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that we started the game with Chubba Purdy because after uh, how the previous game went, I honestly was more impressed with Logan Smothers. Um, and I kind of thought maybe we'd start with him because we had given Chubba more chances. But we came out with Chubba. Um, and then, you know, obviously the coaches are seeing things in practice. We aren't. And eventually when Logan did have to step in the game because Chubba was hurt, he was just as bad, basically, in terms of completion yeah. percentage and that sort of stuff. So I, I guess my faith was a little unfounded there. Well, but I, I would also tell you that Chubba Purdy was always going to be that starter. You're not appreciating how singular-minded um, uh, Coach Whipple is about the two guys he brought in through the transfer portal this past season. Okay, his loyalty is to Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy, and he doesn't. He has not shown any confidence or willingness to to uh, nurture any of our other quarterbacks. That's pre- that's become pretty apparent. Because uh, again, I think he's a he's a guy that's here, and he and he knows he's a short timer. As soon as Scott was was fired, he knew his time here was limited to the remainder of the season, and he was going to, you know, he is going to um, complete that task with his guys. And so, you know, he's 
with resistance playing Smothers. Now, I, I would say that um, you're right. Smothers looked terrible when he played, but, but it was primarily because he couldn't do anything, right? At that point, our offense was so inept. Uh, you know, their, their defense was in, in our face uh, to some extent, although I, I will concede that there were some times when, when Smothers had some time uh, and wasn't able to, you know, make the right choice, right, and, and, and physically execute to uh, get a completion. Again, I, I think part of that is if you're an offensive coordinator, you need to adjust your play calling and create, and create some creativity uh, an opportunity for a, a guy that you have on your team, uh, based on his skill set, right. not based on what you want to do offensively with your with your offensive system, but to be able to adjust. And and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Whipple under the bus here again. I'm I've been highly unimpressed right. by our offensive coordinator. Well, uh, just to the point of that, because I was kind of following along with the play by play on you know ESPN or whatever on some of those sites as I was doing other things. Um, and there was mm-hmm. one sequence in particular. I remember what was like Anthony Grant ran it, ran it, ran it. Uh, we passed it to Anthony Grant. It was like basically like four or five plays in a row that were all Anthony Grant. And it's like, right. obviously he's a great player, uh, but you can't become like that predictable, you know? Right. Right. Unless he's like a superstar type where you're just like daring the other team to stop you because you know that they can't, but Grant's not right. that level of a player. Well, not no. He hasn't been able to demonstrate that yet. You know, I, I think he has some pretty, pretty healthy skills, but he just doesn't have uh, the skills to overcome. You know, an offensive line that is so bad, right? And so that's that's the problem. I mean, at the day, that's our big problem. Yeah. Um, now, observant listeners will remember that after the last podcast, uh, we predicted that. Uh, there was a good possibility that our new coach could be announced after this Michigan loss, um, or it would come after the Iowa game at the end of our regular season. Um, and here we are, we're recording on a Tuesday. The uh, college football playoff rankings have not yet come out as we record, uh, but uh, there's been no announcement in terms of a new coach. Uh, so it seems more likely that uh, whoever Trev has been talking to is a current coach and wouldn't be available until after their regular season is done as well. Um, however, there have been uh, more rumors swirling in the internet space about Matt Rule potentially uh, being in Lincoln, uh, seeing the stadium, things of that nature. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'd say he seems to be the top name on people's lips, but no real proof that that's reality yet. No. And in fact, I, I think all of that is just, uh, people are filling the silence with whatever, whatever the, uh, just throwing stuff against the wall. Number one, I doubt very seriously that he is in Lincoln. Okay. Uh, this Matt rule character. Number two, I don't think they would ever, if they didn't intend to announce it, they would never have him in town. He, he's not going to visit the facilities physically. Um, you know, but while he's being courted to be the head coach, whoever that, whoever that next head coach is, okay, he's going to be sent videos. He's going to be shown the campus, you know, through aerial photography. Um, in in all likelihood, whoever this person is will have been able to research himself 
based on history, knowing the stadium and the status of the stadium and and the other facilities and the fact that they're all brand new, I mean, is a huge, uh, should be a huge selling point for Nebraska. So uh, it just, it makes zero sense. And I, I, and I've never been buying into that. I, my personal feeling and why I stated that I, I thought it might happen basically in the, in this weekend and early this week following last week's game was this was the game that was going to ultimately make us mathematically ineligible to play a bowl game. So now these last two games, truly, we're not playing for a bowl game. We're clearly not playing for any kind of uh, chance at, at going to Indianapolis. So our season is over effectively, except to play out the string of games that we still have left, right? It's to go through senior day and to honor our seniors this, this Saturday, and then to play the traditional Black Friday game with Iowa. Right. And so we're playing for pride at this point. Right. Nothing else. I will say, uh, because I was seeing more of these Matt Rule rumors, I double checked on his like coaching record and stuff. Um, and I came away more impressed and thinking that he would be a good choice because uh, he had a history with Temple, like working there as like an assistant coach, left and then came back um, as their head coach, did well there, then came to Baylor and had like an abysmal year one. Uh, a more mediocre year two and then a great year three where he had like 11 wins and then he went off to the NFL after that you know I'm more uh, and he's like in, in his 50s I think early 50s so he's got a lot of time left as a coach if he wants to so uh, I would I, I'm in the camp where if Matt Rule was announced as the guy I'd be pretty happy with that oh I would too I don't think it's gonna happen right I because uh, again I, I think that uh, there were there are ample reasons for us to uh, uh, for Nebraska to want to have that guy in place so that he could be working behind the scenes to organize his staff uh, working in on his own individually to solidify recruits and and the recruiting class to evaluate it and then decide who he wants to retain offers with and who he doesn't and then to solidify those that he wants to keep right um, and. And and then um, um, and the season is effectively over, right? Uh, except for you know these two games that we still have to play, uh, j- just to play out the string. Uh, but there's nothing to play for here, other than pride, right? And and that's the team's job to do that. Um, so I would have thought that this would have been a window. The fact that it ha- hasn't happened, I-, I-, I thought they would only use this window if it was somebody that was available, like a Matt Rule, an Urban Meyer, a uh, um, uh, a Patterson, uh, a Peterson, any of those names of coaches that are currently not coaching. Those are the guys that, that, that would have fit into that. That tells me that whoever we are going to get is probably going to be coaching right now. He is he. That person is either a, a head coach or you know a major uh, coordinator assistant at at a program right now, and so we're going to wait till that that coach's season, regular season, is over. And I wouldn't be surprised if it goes well beyond a week uh, past. I, I'm not. Everybody seems convinced the decision's already made. I uh, I'm not convinced. Interesting. Even though, you know, um, Trev has had quite a bit of time, right? He fired Scott after the third game 
and brought Mickey in, but you know he had to be looking elsewhere under the assumption that Mickey probably wasn't gonna pull out a miraculous turnaround, right? So he's had two months or whatever to be looking out for people. You're absolutely right. Again, keep in mind it takes two to tango, right? And so you need to have the other side, the coach that you are targeting, available to have an interview, right? And right. so, um, and 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 they wanted to go through the process. I mean, Trev had given himself a time frame that allowed him to use his search company to vet a lot of choices, and then, like I said, I think I described previously. You know, you got to filter that through the funnel, get it down to a group of you know four or three, and then and then try to target interviewing those guys. And if one or two of those three guys are not available or are unwilling to interview with you. They're interested in the job, but they don't want to do it until after their season is over because they want to be focused and, and commit to the kids they've got in front of them right now. Okay. If, if he got that kind of reaction, then he might have changed his timeline. And that, that's why I'm saying it's not, it's not a guarantee that, you know, on the Saturday after uh, uh, black Friday, we're going to be announcing our head coach or, you know, there's going to be rumor will break and then the announcement will come on Sunday, you know, uh, of that weekend. Right. So um, that's a possibility, but it wouldn't shock me at all if we went another week beyond that, because we needed to have some guys um, come in for uh, or get get together with with Trev for for interviews or whatever before we, we made a final decision and they made a final decision to say yes. Right. Um, one other thing I'll mention is I saw a headline from an interview with Mickey Joseph uh, that I believe happened today or yesterday, uh, where he basically expressed that he was open to staying on the staff as an assistant um, in the likely outcome that he would not be the next head coach, you know, and be on somebody else's staff. Um, so I thought that was good to see, you know, Mickey showing not sh showing some, you know, humility, I guess, and like not being so prideful, be like, well, I wasn't chosen as neck head, head coach, so I'm out of here sort of thing. But there's the question of would the new person want him around? Right. And, 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 and I'm hopeful that, that they interview him. I, I think it would be wise for any new coach coming in. It's not uncommon. People seem to think this is uncommon, but it's not, it's not uncommon for um, a new coach to retain one or two key coaches from the existing staff, even if they know it's just for a year or two to help with the transition for the players and to have somebody on the staff that knows the lay of the land a little bit right ahead of you. And, uh, and maybe they're a good recruiter. Maybe they're a key recruiter for you. Um, and so you, you give them a couple of years and, you, and then you evaluate them. And after two years of your, your program, if, if he's not working out, then you then you move on from him and you let him go at that time. But it's not an uncommon thing. And, and people seem to act like it is. Uh, so um, I'm hopeful. And I think Mickey understands that, too. In fact, I think he's probably been the beneficiary of that on on uh, on an occasion or two in his career because he has those great skills. Right. He's got that recruiting acumen uh, and he's also uh, very uh, knowledgeable and connected um, uh, to some key uh, recruiting areas, territories like Louisiana, 
and um, Arkansas and Alabama and places like that. So I just think uh, those are the reasons why someone would initially keep him. And then they would find out that he's a character guy and a pretty damn good wide receivers coach. Right. Yeah. I, I hope to see him and Bill Bush stick around, but obviously we'll have to wait and see how things go there. Um, well, I was going to say, was there anything else you wanted to say on the coaching situation well, before we move on? Well, not so much the coaching thing, but just maybe one more comment I would like to make about the Michigan game and just the status of Nebraska's program right now. The reality is, you know, we're not we're not very talented. That That's why we're losing. Right. That's part of why we're losing. You know, our culture isn't good. There's all kinds of things. But but at the end of the day, we're playing with 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 certain players in certain positions that just aren't very good. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I've just got to tip my hat to bill bush and what he's been able to do now I, I will concede that in the second half for example in this michigan game i mean they could have named the score and the reality is is part of the reason why that score didn't get closer to the prediction i gave was because michigan kind of treated it a little bit like a practice this was a this was a really good valuable scrimmage for them to work on the areas of their team that they need to get better at and that was the deep ball they threw quite a number of of medium to long range passes, which are low, um, you know, probability type of passes, uh, knowing that at any moment in the, in the game that they wanted to, they, they could just decide to commit to the running game and just finish us off. And we were not, we were not challenging their defense enough to even feel like they were threatened. Right. You know, if, uh, so, so I, I really think that they called their game plan was quite simply, uh, let's spend the first half getting control of the game and then uh, trying to uh, work on our passing game. And then when, when it wasn't going so well, cause our defense was playing pretty, pretty well. Uh, we were covering guys and stuff. Um, it's not like they had guys running wide open. Um, and we were even getting a little pressure, right? So um, all that seemed well, adequate. On that two things on that point. Um, uh, in terms of passing, um, b- both teams are actually equal in terms of completions and attempts, 10 of 20. Uh, so right. you're equal in that regard that they had 148 yards to our 71 in terms of passing. And both teams had two sacks each, to your point. Uh, so we yep. were getting a bit of pressure. Um, but also on the last podcast, one of the reasons you gave your score was because you thought that because uh, Michigan is in the playoff discussion and has the committee's eyes on them, that they wanted to make a statement with Nebraska and really run up the store score. But it seems like that wasn't Jim Harbaugh's goal. Well, had they had their passing game been clicking more, you know, had they been able to get guys open, uh, then in all likelihood, that score would have been much uglier. I think that was their intention. But once they realized, okay, you know what? Um, um, their quarterback is not having a great day, whatever. The receivers aren't having a great day. That's okay. We're just going to, you know, we always had as a backup our ability to just pound the rock and take it out on these guys. And in the third and fourth quarter, they ran off tackle like 15 plays in a row, it felt like. I mean, it wasn't, but. It felt like that because we could not stop it. I mean, literally, um, they're running back. Uh, and so then it became more of a let's get him some yards and and uh, promotion, you know, for the Heisman. So they would, even when he was late in the game and they were trying to protect him, right, so he wouldn't get hurt, um, 
they were putting in their substitutes, their second and third team running backs. Um, and, uh, and then they would bring Corum back in when they got close to the goal line so that he could score the touchdown. Right. Um, so, so, I mean, so there were, there were a number of things at work in their strategy that led to us having the, the final score that we had. Um, and part of it is they struggled uh, to pass the football and our defense did pretty well. And our defense did pretty well in the running game in the first half, but we just wore down. Eventually when your offense is inept like that, you're just on the field too much and your defense is going to wear down. But, but we showed some players, man, we, we, we've got a few young players that I like and uh, I'm excited about. So, so um, I just hope we can retain them through this coaching change. So that's it. Uh, that's it on the on the game. And as far as the coaching thing, I, I think now we can just we just need to. Everybody just needs to chillax and realize that nothing major is going to be announced formally uh, pr- uh, until after that Iowa game. And even then, people are um, <laughs> Nebraska fans are going to be literally crawling up walls. Uh, if they don't get a, if they don't get an announcement after that Iowa game, and I, I'm here to tell you that there's a possibility that this decision has not been made at all, because because uh, even though Trev was available and they were able to do all the background stuff, they were not able to do the final interviews until after that weekend. So I could see it going another week, which would put it right next to the early recruiting, because basically. Um, Trev Alberts has admitted that, hey, we're going to do whatever we have to do. We're going to take whatever amount of time we have to take to get this hire as right as we possibly can. Okay. So if it means we have to sacrifice this recruiting cycle, so be it. Right. Well, yeah, it seems like at this point, Trev has kind of given up on that uh, because this would be the timeline where he would have needed to announce it right around now if he really wanted to keep aggressively going after that recruiting class so yeah i agree and it, our recruiting class isn't all that great so i think he's and and now with the new rules and stuff and the fact that you can have an unlimited number of signees in a season as long as you are not above 85 by you know august 1st or whatever then uh you know let the new coach go out and get as many guys as he needs when the time comes right Okay, so transitioning here to the national side of things for college football, um, we have to start out with a a tragic piece of news that has been at the top of the headlines here recently. A uh, a former Virginia football player uh, came to the University of Virginia's campus with a gun and killed three people, wounding two, uh, and three of those victims were current members of the Virginia football team. Uh, so it's been a very sad few days in the world of college football. A lot of people mourning, you know, uh, other people at other schools who had transfers from Virginia or whose players went to Virginia and things like that helps you realize how interconnected uh, this whole community is. Um, so, yeah, very, uh, very sad situation there at Virginia. It really is. And, you know, we were just on that campus not more than two weeks ago, your, your mom and I, uh, as we were in our travels and, uh, beautiful, beautiful campus and drove by the stadium and everything. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's almost surreal to realize that that happened. Um, and the fact that it was teammates, right. Cause usually, you know, and you frequently hear the, 
the, you know, the commentary about the bonds that are made. And, you know, you, you, you know, that those guys all don't like each other, but, but they're brothers in that locker room. Right. Mm-hmm. They may not like each other outside of, outside of that locker room, but, but when they're together in that locker room, they're a team. Right. And so when that starts to break down and then you have, a, you know, a person who obviously had some issues, um, kind of, kind of come in and, and not have a conscience and, and do, uh, make the choices that he made. Uh, it's just really hard, hard to, to take. Yeah. And one of the Virginia players who was killed in this event, uh, was a former Wisconsin running back. Uh, I'm sorry, wide receiver. Wide receiver. Yeah. Yes. And so that's already been commented upon. And of course, Wisconsin is the team that uh, Nebraska is playing this upcoming weekend. Um, so I would not be surprised to see some tribute to that player and to have Wisconsin come in even more focused than usual um, to try to, you know, uh, show their brother proud. Right. I, I would agree with you. And, um, um, yeah, it's it's just and like you say, it's it it that the fact that there were transfers involved and stuff just shows that it's even more interconnected today. And so uh, you know, there's going to probably be a moment of silence at an awful lot of stadiums this weekend in honor of those those uh, football players. And um, um, it's just uh, you know another reminder of the sad reality of our state of a, of affairs here in the United States. Right. Um- Transitioning off of that into uh, other football talk, um, because of some of the games this weekend, um, we've started to get confirmation on some of the uh, championship, conference championship games and who they'll be. For example, in the SEC, it's now confirmed that it'll be LSU versus Georgia. And in the ACC, it is Clemson versus North Carolina. Um, and in the big 12, uh, TCU, because they won this weekend is guaranteed to be one of the two teams in the big 12 championship game. And it's also guaranteed that in the big 10, a team with at least three conference losses is good <laughs> from the West. Yep. <laughs> yep. Basically. Yeah. The, the best team from the, the West versus either Ohio state or Michigan, you know, that, right. that's going to be the big game to watch that weekend for sure. That'll be a fun one. Um, yep. And I have to say, uh, although I was impressed with LSU, you know, how they've made a comeback later in the season and how they were able to beat Alabama. Um, I don't know if they've got what it takes to hold up with Georgia because Georgia also has a good defense like LSU does. Um, but we saw what Georgia did to Tennessee and Oregon and other well-regarded teams this year. So I'm definitely favoring them pretty big in that one. I would agree. And uh, um, I I feel the same way, frankly, about the Clemson North Carolina game, but maybe for a slightly different reason, not because I've been overly impressed with Clemson, but that I haven't really been overwhelmed by North Carolina. And so even as, as up and down, I would say uneven as the Clemson team has been this year, I I would I would place them at a, as a fairly comfortable favorite in that matchup as well. 
All right. Well, and although Nebraska lost this weekend, uh, Nebraska fans did have uh, some things to celebrate, such as the fact that both Texas and Oklahoma lost on that same weekend. Uh, So uh, Texas was playing against TCU in kind of the marquee game of of the weekend and lost uh, 17 to 10, while Oklahoma played against West Virginia and lost 23 to 20. Yes. And that uh, West Virginia team is currently viewed as probably one of the worst teams in the league yeah they had they had like having that loss was was never one that was expected where the texas tcu loss at least that was a marquee matchup where you knew and frankly i think texas um uh appointed themselves rather well in that game that they certainly Mm -hmm. had opportunities to win that football game well uh so on the previous podcast, we predicted that game. I predicted that TC would win 38-28, while you predicted that Texas would win 31-21. Uh, now yep. it ended up being a much lower scoring game, especially by Big 12 standards, right, of 17-10. to 10. Um, yes. And I watched the recap of that game. And frankly, TCU, I, I don't think Texas played that well. TCU should have won it bigger. Um, because oh, the, the, absolutely, because TCU uh, missed a field goal that was very makeable earlier on in the game, and then they in the fourth quarter with like four minutes to go, when it was seventeen to three, they had gave up a fumble that Texas picked up for a touchdown that brought brought it to seventeen to ten and made it. That's what made it close. But up to that point, I mean, Texas's offense had been able to do almost nothing. Nothing. That that is correct. You are correct. Uh, however. Uh, I, I would say that it, I watched quite a bit of that game, and I would tell you that in most of the first half, that was a back-and-forth battle. Uh, there were some great defensive plays being made on both sides, but there were moments in that game where where Texas's offense was uh, having good success, and their defense was having very good success. Their defense was blitzing and giving TCU all kinds of trouble, right? And so um, they were certainly a competitive um, uh, opponent, uh, TCU sure as heck wasn't running away from, weren't running away with it. Okay. Right. And so that's why that's kind of what I say. And that, and that gets back to even, uh, you know, as we look at, uh, the, uh, you know, postmortem on the Nebraska season, I think we're going to have quite a bit of conversation about what, uh, Bill Bush was able to do with the defense and the fact that if you have a defense that can, can, can hang around, then you can stay in football games. Then you need the offense to do just enough to keep it competitive, and then you're you're there. But uh, right now, in Nebraska's case, we don't have enough offense, and right now, Texas doesn't either. Right, right. Well, like when they get against a good opponent, they just don't have enough. I mean, that comes back to that classic phrase: defense wins championships, right? And in yep. the Bo Pelina era, I think we saw that very starkly, especially in the years where we had Indomitian Sue on our team, right, where we had one of the best defenses in the country, but then our offense was just average. And so we would get nine wins, but we couldn't go farther than that, you know, and we ran right. up into that wall. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. And so that's where that's where being a complete team, right, having good balance and being able to do, you know, enough things well that you can adjust as the season progresses because people are going to take away what they think you do well and make you go to the weak part of your game. That's what a good defensive preparation will do. And so 
you better have balance. Right. And then in that Oklahoma-West Virginia game, it was kind of a back-and-forth game where both were kind of trading the lead with each other at a certain point. But West Virginia managed to score last uh, right. and win the game, with leaving Oklahoma now 5-5 five and five under Brett Venables. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is that I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit concerned that uh, depending on how these last two games go for them, um, that they may decide to pull that trigger. I know that's not fair. That's that's unreasonable. I mean, they hired Brent Venables. Okay, he's a he's a guy coming home, so to speak, because he had coached for a number of years at OU, so he has some connections there and all that sort of stuff. But he hadn't been a head coach before. Okay, and you know, Mike Riley, you know, gutted that program of some of their best players. You mean uh, Lincoln what? Riley? Lincoln Riley. Holy cow! What a horrible. <laughs> Freudian slip that one. Um, Same guy, uh, really. I mean, Lincoln Riley. Uh, he he gutted that team, and and you had to know that that then uh, Venables was coming into a locker room where uh, he had a lot of disappointed players, and it's pretty clear to me that that between the talent uh, losses and then some of the dynamics that were kind of thrust onto the Oklahoma program over the last twelve months. Um, you know, he didn't manage it well or and or, uh, un, uh, you know, it might be unfair to put that all on him. So I don't know what their athletic department's thinking, but with with the uh, Im- impending uh, move to the SEC, they don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of runway to get this right. You know, right. Uh, so so they either need to uh, if they end up having a six and six season or even a um, seven and five season and go to a bowl game and win a bowl game and they're eight and five. Well, that might be a salvage, right? But if anything less than that, and he's going to be on the hot seat, I believe to begin next season at the very least. Well, I just looked up cause I'm curious. So the last two games are Oklahoma state, the classic rivalry game, and then Texas tech. Um, and now Oklahoma state has kind of fallen apart here in recent weeks, whereas Texas mm-hmm. tech uh, they played it like close with uh, Kansas State, I believe, and then, uh, or I think they might have beat Kansas State, and then they also beat Kansas. I know this past weekend. Um, so you know those are both teams that Oklahoma, you know, theoretically should win, but definitely not uh not gimmies. Correct, exactly, and so I could see them being six and six, or even five and seven. Uh. Or seven and five. I mean, I could see any of those scenarios playing out for OU, but uh, I, I'm just hopeful that Nebraska gets their coach in place before that Oklahoma job becomes available. If in fact it does this year, right? And uh, so I was wrong. Kansas State did beat Texas Tech, and then they played it close with TCU. That was the more recent game I was thinking of. Yes. Um. Yeah. But my prediction would be that. Uh, Brett Venables like uh, Mario Cristobal at Miami and Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M um, because maybe more so due to the money in their contracts than their uh, you know performance on the field. Uh, we'll stick around and survive this year, uh, but we'll be under immense pressure next year to show considerable uh, turnaround or risk being fired next year. That's my prediction. I think that's a very good prediction. Yeah. I would uh, I would put a star next to that one. Speaking of let's, which, let's revisit. Let's revisit that. Yes, we'll have to remember that. Put a pin in it. Uh, exactly. 
Uh, speaking of Texas A&M, uh, they also played this past weekend against Auburn, a team that fired their coach and is currently searching for a coach like us, uh, and uh, lost in an ugly game of 13-10, to now leaving them at 3-7, and just like Nebraska, at out-of-bowl contention. Yep. And they had the number one recruiting class in the country. Yep. Uh, apparently, in some preseason polls, they were as high as number six. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So that's, that's underperformance Yeah, on a massive scale. It is. And apparently Jimbo Fisher's current buyout is uh, $86 million if they were to fire him today. So it's a pre- pretty price tag right there that they've gotten themselves yep. into. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, and then, uh, you know what, that, that price tag, that's interesting. Cause I'm going to do some more research and in the off season, uh, 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 maybe even uh, over the bowl season or something, we can do this. We're gonna we're gonna delve into this whole athletic department money thing because I, you know, uh, the, my recent research is enlightening me, enlightening me to the idea that even though these schools are now getting these massive revenue um, uh, revenue revenue flows from the conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten. Those schools' spending is outstripping even that flow of money, mm-hmm. and and there are some there are some schools in trouble financially, right? And and if our economy were to take a big dive like it did in the mid two thousands, okay, and and there was a, a an extended uh, recession that borders on depression, which is certainly being forecasted by more than one economist in america today uh a lot of these schools could be in deep doo-doo right um one of the other big games from last week was uh oregon versus washington uh which we we did not uh give a score on but we did predict the winner and both of us thought that oregon had that pretty well under control you know they were uh considered to be one of the top teams in the country ranked number six in the playoff rankings um, mm-hmm. but they ended up losing that game actually, uh, 37 to 34. Um, and I watched, uh, once again, I watched the recap of that game. And to me, it was clear that Oregon was the better team, the more talented team. Um, but they made some serious mistakes. Uh, for example, they fumbled it at the goal line, basically while they were prepping to score, um, yep. And gave up some massive passes, like three really big deep balls that led to Washington uh, scores. Um, and then at the end of the game, I believe it was actually it was tied 34-34. And then Oregon's not at the 50 yet. They haven't passed into the, the opponent's territory yet. And they go for it on a fourth and one uh, to get the first down. And the running back like stumbles and doesn't get there. And so then that gives... Washington the ball and basically you know they want to get a few more yards to get the field goal which they did that won them the game so Oregon had a lot of mistakes yes well and, and you know and I watched quite a bit of that game and the thing I came away with was I don't uh, you know I don't know the ages of them but th- those two football teams look more foot more put together I mean physically right if you look at their offensive and defensive linemen um, if you look at their running backs, their linebackers, I mean, both of those programs have some real athletes and, and, and they are, they are definitely, they look good coming off the bus. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> those are two teams that are pretty, 
pretty impressive looking. And um, now, I, you know, I don't know what that means for the future, but I, I kind of feel like both of those newer coaches in those two programs have got their programs going in the right direction. Obviously, Oregon's disappointed that, that they lost because they could have put themselves in a really good position if they hadn't. But the fact is, is that I just, I look at what they've got going on. And if I was a fan of those, either of those schools, I would be optimistic about my future. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Uh, Oregon, even in that loss, they showed some serious speed with some of their players and things like that. So uh, they've definitely got some talent there. Um, and then another big game that we also uh, gave a quick prediction for was Alabama versus Ole Miss. Uh, Alabama coming off that loss. Um, so I predicted that uh, Saban would get the team together and get the win. So I predicted that the day would win. This time you went with the upset. Uh, and of course, it was the one time where they didn't pull off the upset. Uh, but it was darn close. It was a 30 yeah. to 24 win for Alabama. It was a last play of the game kind of deal. Uh, where Old Miss had a had a chance uh, up until the very end, and then when it didn't happen, it just didn't happen. Yeah, but uh, but they had their chances, and Al- uh, and again uh, Alabama, as I watched that game, just seemed really uneven. Times they looked really good and like the, okay, that, I I see them, they're getting it together, and then and then they wouldn't, uh, and so even Alabama's performance over the course of the game was just not not at all trending consistently in a positive direction yeah well uh, yeah Ole Miss think Ole Miss was actually winning uh 17 to 7 at a certain point like you say right. had a chance to uh win it at the end um it reminds yeah. me of one of those SEC short uh YouTube videos where I yeah. think after Alabama lost to LSU they had like a poll uh, it was like he was being taken on like a make-a-wish trip where like this is what it's like if uh, you get to go to the national championship game and be in the playoff, you know, with poor little Alabama there, you know, getting the the pity uh, tour basically. And like they showed the playbook at one point. It was all – all the plays were all the same where it was like a hope that uh, Bryce Young bails us out or something like that. You know? <laughs> so they do seem to be relying yeah. on him a lot. Yep, exactly. Exactly. All right. And I I don't know. Uh, this was interesting. Uh, Kansas State played against Baylor in a pretty big game in the Big 12, uh, and they destroyed Baylor uh, 31-3. to uh, Though, unfortunately, uh, Adrian Martinez got injured kind of earlier on in that game and is apparently out for the season with a leg injury. That is correct. Yep. And uh, But his backup, frankly has played better than him on almost every occasion where he's been asked to play because Adrian has has had some other nick and ding up type injuries that have cost him some time and then uh, fuck a full game here or there uh, earlier in the season and each time this Howard guy has come in and played well um and so frankly uh K-State might be might have a more consistent performer in that quarterback seat uh, now with this Howard guy than they were getting out of Adrian. Because yep. really, if you look at Adrian's numbers for the season, they were good. They weren't great. And and as we watched in the previous week, he still had that propensity to have the most ungodly bad timing for a mistake, even when he's otherwise playing well. Right. Yeah. Well, and I commented on that previously that that Howard guy is clearly a better passer, even though even though he's not as good of a runner as Adrian. Um, one right. thing I want 
Right. The one thing I want to touch on real quick, going back to that uh, Oregon game, is when I mentioned that fumble that Oregon had right at the goal line, right, that cost them basically seven points. Um, that was another time where it was short uh, down a distance, and they went under center, and it went wrong, and they fumbled it. And I've seen that multiple times this season and last year, and it's mm-hmm. amazing to me that, you know, these centers and quarterbacks are so good at the shotgun, which, uh, you know, the ball is traveling a farther distance. It should be harder, right? More prone to mistakes than a simple pass it, pass it a single foot, you know, under your butt to the guy right behind you, right under center. But it seems like because these teams either don't practice enough in practice or they do practice it, but then when they're in a game time situation, it's not something you're used to doing. You just are nervous and you're not, you don't have the muscle memory for it and mistakes happen. Yep. And I've seen it so many times. It's amazing. No. And you, you just hit on it at the very end of your commentary there, I think Alex, and that is muscle memory. Right. And, and the thing is, is that here's the question. How often do they really practice it? You know, um, uh, but I mean, I'm speaking of having the quarterbacks go under center. They may practice it every day, but when in practice are they doing it? Are they doing it at the end of practice? Are they doing it in the middle of practice? You know, uh, or are they doing it interspersed throughout the practice? I'm going to speculate that in most cases they have one devoted period where they're they're doing their goal line or whatever, and and, and during that time they they get a, a a decent number of repetitions, but that's not the same as when you're taking that snap, you know, in the fourth quarter, when you're physically tired, when your bones are already starting to ache and it's cold outside, or even if the case that it's not cold outside, it's just a very uncomfortable situation. Your hands are sweaty, whatever the case may be. And that center also his pants, you know, the, his uh, football pants are probably, you know, full of sweat or, or dirt or whatever. Right. So there's all kinds of variables that are not there when you're practicing. And so then when those things happen in a real game setting, it's different than they practiced. Right. And that little bit of difference, along with the nerves and all the other things you said, that just causes that to be an unpredictable experience. Yep. Yeah, it seems that way. I, I'd like to see people improve on that in the future. Maybe, you know, like Notre Dame played against Navy this week, you know, go to the Navy practices maybe for a week and learn from them because they don't seem to have a problem with it. <laughs> right. Well, and and, and frankly, it, it's a fairly it was a fairly rare occurrence in the sport when most everyone was still under center. And uh, and I, I'm here to tell you that I think there is there is a place, and some coach is going to figure that out at the Division One Power Five level. That that having a, a player, uh, I mean, a quarterback system where you still do the traditional dropbacks, um, and you get the guy under center, it gives you some advantages um, in terms of angles with your running backs and things like that that are pretty attractive and because it looks so different now because everybody else has taken shotgun snap i think um it could be a a, a big plus yeah could be could be um here are two interesting upsets that happened this week uh number 12 ucla played against arizona who has not had a great season uh and lost Mm -hmm. 34 28 while in the big 10 uh, illinois 
uh, played against Purdue, two teams that beat Nebraska, and Purdue managed to win 31-24. So Illinois, who was in the driver's seat of the Big Ten West, has now bungled it. <laughs> yep. And and so now they're, they're still effectively in a tie. Um, but uh, it would depend on what happens with the other teams between now and the end of the season for them to uh, you know get a chance at the division. But um, they have to play in Ann Arbor. Um, right. No, I'm sorry. It's not. It's in. It's in. Uh, I think it might be a home game. But they uh, have to play Michigan. It is actually in Ann Arbor. I looked that up. It is in Ann Arbor. Okay. So so um, now watch them play Michigan. Really tough. <laughs> that would be funny because they have they have a good defense, a very good defense, one of the tops in the country. Uh, statistically, and they have, you know, a, a, a legitimate NFL running back. Mm-hmm. So, but again, uh, I saw him get banged, banged around quite a bit last week. Yep. Um, and then the last game we'll talk about here is the uh, game that involves Wisconsin, who, of course, Nebraska will be playing next week, which was uh, Wisconsin versus Iowa, uh, where Iowa managed to win 24 to 10 in a very defensive game. Uh, Wisconsin had six sacks while Iowa had four. So uh, a lot of good defense being played on both sides. Um, but uh, Wisconsin made some mistakes. They were uh, three and one in the turnover game, including one as a pick six. And I believe Iowa also had a blocked punt in there as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, props to Iowa. They just came and executed better on the day. And And, and so here's the reality. Iowa is probably what I would describe as the uh, the likely leader in in terms of the highest percentage chance that they're going to uh, represent the West, mm-hmm. and their offense is ranked lower than 120th <laughs> in the in the nation. Yeah, they've they've been abysmal on offense this year, but their defense has been astounding. So and, it balances and their out. special teams and their special teams. Yes, right, and that's th- th- there you go. Right, I mean. That and in the current version of the Big Ten West, great defense and 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 attention to detail on special teams keeps you in an awful lot of games. Yep. Well, that would be funny because Iowa once again got off to a rough start this year. So if they somehow found their way back into the Big Ten championship yet again, that would be kind of funny. Yeah. Um, wow. But I don't find any humor in it. <laughs> Because I don't want any anything positive to happen for the University of Iowa. Fair enough, but uh, I do think it, it gives Nebraska fans some hope, right, uh, going into this Wisconsin game, and that Wisconsin clearly uh, is prone to some mistakes if you're able to force them into it, right? And the defense is the strength of our current team, so if we can put some pressure on that quarterback, you know, uh, then we might be able to get some stuff done. You know, use our solid special teams that we've shown this year to, you know flip the field on them with some good punts and things like that. Um, but the big question mark, of course, will be our offense. Uh, Chubba Purdy, like I said, is definitely out for the season, it seems. Apparently, Casey Thompson has been taking uh, some passes in practice, but he's a day-to-day guy, so it's unclear if he'll be fit to play in this upcoming game. And if he's not, uh, I don't really see any chances of us winning, given how poor we've looked on offense. I would agree, especially if we're not willing to go through a fairly substantial transition 
in terms of what our we spent our time on this week. We would have had to make the decision early this week that neither Chubba Purdy nor um, Casey Thompson were available, and then spend the entire week trying to hone in on a on a series of plays that we could get reps on uh, that would lend themselves to the strengths of our third team quarterback uh, Smothers. And but the fact that Chubba, I mean the fact that Casey Thompson was still taking snaps tells me they didn't do that. Right. So, uh, you know, my only hope now is that he is truly healthy enough and he can go out there and play and, and be effective because if that's not the case, they are really hurting themselves by not committing to smothers. I mean, you you gotta, at some point you gotta cut bait and move on. And, and they should have done that and said, we're going to save, you know, uh, him for the final game against uh, Menace or against Iowa. And then uh, we're going to take Smothers and we're going to commit to Smothers for this week. And our backup to Smothers now is a, is a guy uh, uh, that is a walk on from Hastings High School, Hastings, Nebraska. Um, you know, who has uh, apparently done, looked pretty good in, in practice, you know, doing, running the scout team. Uh, but again, he's, he's more of one of these savvy quarterbacks, doesn't have, a, a, you know, any spectacular skills. He's not super fast. He's not super athletic. He's not, you know, he doesn't, he's tiny. He's like 5'10 or 5'11, but he just makes plays, right? He, he just continues to make plays in practice. So right. that's why he's getting the nod as the backup, as, as the backup to Smothers. So there you go. Sorry about that. Nope, that's fine. But I, it'll be a pretty sad situation if we're forced to play our fourth string quarterback at this point in the season. But that's what we're looking at currently. Well, that's, yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I would rather have, you know, rather than pushing it with with uh, uh, Thompson, I would rather hold off and and have him available then because we give him a full another week to to get healthy so that we would have him for the Iowa game because I think that would be really important to us because we're going to need some offense to win that game because you know their defense is so good that unless we have some something to be effective at we won't score a point against Iowa unless our defense does it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, I see where your point there. It's kind of a gamble this week of like, is if Casey's actually good enough and, you know, I believe you thought potentially that Casey could come back, you know, in our previous two games and obviously he wasn't ready for it. So he's had some time off, um, but yep. only the coaches really know how good he actually is, you know, and, uh, we may be in a because, like we said, uh, Wisconsin uh, in that game against Iowa uh, got six sacks. You know they were getting back there a lot. Uh, so uh, we're gonna, you know, whoever the quarterback is is gonna take some hits, and we don't want Casey to go down on that shoulder and immediately have to come out of the game because he re-injured it. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing; he's got multiple things right now. The thing that's been keeping him out is his hand. Uh, and he can't even, he had, he couldn't even grip a football. Uh, so, 
that's ner- it's a nerve. He's you know he's got some nerve issues. So uh, I'm sorry. I mean, the first time that that guy throws a pass and it, and he hits a helmet with his hand, or he hits a shoulder pad, or somebody slaps at it because it's going to be cold. You know, I mean, he's done. Uh, he, and and that's the thing. If he's still in that mode and not truly, you know, healthy then I think you give him the extra time for recovery. and But you you needed to make that decision last Saturday night. Right. And say, okay, as soon as we know, or maybe Monday morning, if that's when they found out that Chubba was definitely not available. As soon as you knew that was true, in my opinion, that was when the coaching staff needed to get together and say, okay, what's the best thing for us to do over the next two weeks? Right? And, and my opinion, I have shared. Right. Okay, well, I'm going to predict this Wisconsin-Nebraska game. I'm going to predict, uh, being a bit optimistic here, that it'll be uh, a pretty low-scoring game, a pretty defensive game on both sides, you know, that our defense will come to play like they have recently. Um, And I'm going to predict that uh, it will likely be Smothers uh, playing most of the time as the quarterback um, and that we won't be able to score many points, but – Maybe we'll be able to get a drive or two in, and hopefully that'll be enough uh, to at least keep it close. Um, so I'm going to predict that Wisconsin wins, uh, but it'll be a lower scoring game. So let's say 21 Wisconsin to 13 Nebraska. Okay, that's good. You know, I haven't looked at what the weather's going to be like um, this weekend in Lincoln. And it is senior day, which is always kind of an emotional event i think there's like you said there's going to be some some um um you know sadness on the sidelines at wisconsin particularly and and i think the crowd is going to be subdued because you know nebraska fans are kind of probably at the end of their rope in terms of energy and enthusiasm so uh, regretfully i am not as optimistic as you i think that uh there's a big difference between our defense and iowa's defense and uh (laughs) So, and when, when, uh, Wisconsin has played a team that didn't have a great defense, they looked pretty damn good, right? Where they have trouble is when you can pressure their quarterback into making mistakes. And I'm not sure we can do that. We might be able to slow down the running game a little bit because I don't know that this is the best offensive line Wisconsin's ever had, but I think that uh, their quarterback who has looked very, very pedestrian for much of his career and much of the season he will look great against us. And I'm going to say that they're going to end up putting 38 points against us and we're going to score 10. So I'm going to say 38 to 10. All right. Well, we'll see how that ends up going. Um, and then uh, looking ahead here, uh, there are some big games in the Pac-12 this week um, because, uh, you know, UCLA lost, Oregon lost, right? So, Uh, The window is kind of opening up for USC to really secure their place in their side of the division to win, whereas Oregon is now tied with a bunch of other teams as a two-loss team, I believe, in the Pac-12. So it'll be interesting to see how all that gets sorted out. Um, I'm sorry, in terms of at least conference play, they only have the one loss, Oregon does. But like, so so Utah also only has one loss. so that that's going to be a big game because Oregon and Utah are playing and USC and UCLA are playing big game here in the Los Angeles area. 
Um, so what's your prediction for Oregon, Utah? Wow. You know, I really like Oregon's coach. Okay. But, but his challenge is always that he's confronting teams like Oregon and Washington and USC that have more talent than him. They can just out recruit him. <clears throat> and then, but he beats them quite regularly because he's uh, a disciplined coach and he maximizes his talent really well. Um, I'm going to say that, isn't it at Utah? Uh, no, it's at Oregon. It's at Oregon. If it's at Oregon, I'm going with Oregon. Um, do, uh, as far as the score, uh, I, I think it's going to end up being, I know, uh, we, we the, uh, God, it's so hard to figure this out. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to end up being 28 uh, to uh, 21. Oregon. Interesting. All right. I'm going to go differently. I'm going to say that Utah uh, pulls out the upset and manages to win in Oregon. Um, And I think it'll be a more traditional Pac-12 game where there's a lot of scoring, where Oregon will score a lot of points, uh, but so will Utah. Um, So I will say that Utah ends up winning, let's say, uh, 38 to uh, 35 over Oregon. Okay. Uh, and then with USC versus UCLA, um, it is at UCLA at the Rose Bowl, uh, but obviously it's in the same city. So, you know, not uh, a huge amount of travel for the USC fans. Um, and I'm going to go more traditional here. I think USC is going to pull it out um, and they will be one of the top contenders for the Pac-12 championship this year. Um, so I'll say that USC wins. um let's say uh, 31 to uh, 21 over UCLA. 31 to 21. Okay. I'm going to agree with you that USC is going to be the victor here. And I will just say uh, I'm going to go 35, 24. Okay. 35. Now, are, are you going to that game by chance? Since that's at, uh, that's at the Rose Bowl. Right. You could probably get a ticket for, you know, 15 bucks or something because nobody attends UCLA football games. Well, no, uh, actually the, I think it's already sold out. Oh, really? I I saw something about that. A headline That will be by far the biggest crowd they've had all year. I mean, have you seen some of the crowds that UCLA has played in? Not this year. No. Oh, it's been, it's been embarrassing. (laughs) Embarrassing how empty that stadium has been. Especially considering that they're having a good year. Good. Yes, they're good. Yeah. So, yeah, that is true. They're both they both have good records. So, now the, you know, the 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 only when you're good fans will start showing up for UCLA again. So, <laughs> yeah. Um uh unfortunately, I have other obligations. I already made plans for Saturday, so I won't be able to go. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but I did consider it when I saw, oh yeah, that game's coming up and it's in the Rose Bowl. Um I've been there once right. before for a game and it was pretty fun. Yes, it is. It's a um, great stadium to a football game. And real quick, uh, while we've been doing this podcast live here on Tuesday, uh, the CFP rankings have come out. Uh, nothing too surprising, right? Because like the top five teams all won. So it's still Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. Um, and now LSU, USC, and Alabama have all moved up to seven, eight, nine, and Oregon, who was number six, has fallen down to twelfth 
uh, because of their loss. Uh, so I'd say that's the biggest kind of noteworthy yeah. thing here. And didn't wasn't Alabama ninth last week? Uh, n- yes, Alabama was ninth. They moved up to eighth, so they went up about they one spot. Up so they moved up because basically uh, Oregon fell out. Right. Even though right. they almost lost to Ole Miss. So. I know. Well, that's what I was going to say. I that's why I was curious because I do not want them to be able to sneak up and get in there because. Keep in mind now, Alabama will not be playing in the conference championship game. And depending on how all those things play out, could they sneak their way up into number four position like they have done in the past? And uh, my only hope is that, that no, they can't do that. Even if they beat Auburn and, you know, whoever they're playing this weekend, I don't give a damn. They cannot be in that playoff. Un- unacceptable. And, and, and wh- where is Clemson in this? Uh, they're ninth. They're right below Alabama. Okay, so they're kind of out of it on the outside looking in at this point, too. So, wow. So TCU looks like they're going to uh, have a very good chance because I think if they, can, if they can simply avoid a loss and, and get to that Big 12 championship game, they should be able to win that, and uh, they probably stay in that top four because Michigan and Ohio State are obviously going to play each other, so one of them is going to get pushed back down, and that's going to allow – Tennessee to sneak in, right? Even though they're not even in the conference championship game, Tennessee is going to end up being fourth. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is that uh, in terms of your fear of Alabama sneaking in is that there's another SEC team with only one loss above them uh, that beat Alabama. uh, That is the more likely potential sneak in team. So I think there's almost no chance Alabama makes it in. It's like a 1% thing. You're, you're, you're exactly right. But we're still going to end up with two SEC teams. Maybe, maybe. No, I think it's most likely. Well, uh, unless Michigan and Ohio State end up in this, you know, battle royale, and Michigan beats uh, Ohio State by three points or two points or something, and then they drop Ohio State from second to fourth, and they keep them ahead of Tennessee. Right. Well, TCU is going to be in if if things go according to Hoyle, and uh, Georgia is going to be in if things go according to Hoyle. So there's two of your there's two of them, and the and the and the Pac-12 will again be on the outside looking in, which is ironic that well, USC might be held out. <laughs> well, um, I I would agree with you that in terms of possible sneak-ins you have the loser of ohio state michigan if that's like a really close game the loser of that could potentially sneak in um but also i think if usc wins out basically they only have the one loss on their record you know then i think they'd have a stronger argument than tennessee does as a conference champion well i would hope that's true that has not historically been the case that's the way it was supposed to go you know we can go into that argument again if we want but, or not <laughs> argument but discussion but that'll be for another podcast but uh history uh, uh, in the era of the college football playoff would predict uh that the SEC team is going to get the benefit of the doubt because of the i think overt influence from the television partner ESPN and uh as uh, as well as the fact that uh, uh there is a, there's enough uh, television eyeballs in the SEC that are uh, versus the Pac-12. You know, I mean, but the USC is the one team that brings eyeballs uh, that can compete with an SEC school. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, USC does have that power to them. So right, we'll right. have to see how it goes. Obviously, in these last couple of podcasts, we'll be talking more about the playoff and the conference championship games as we narrow down the teams that are really in contention and get to the big rivalry games then off the season. So there's a lot to look forward to, even when Nebraska isn't good. <laughs> that is, well, that is true. There's going to be some good, good football this weekend for sure. Uh, and I just hope that Nebraska, I hope their defense continues to strive and, and, and not give up. Uh, and if they do that and play hard, like they've been playing, I think they'll be able to have some success against Wisconsin. And then it's just a matter of if all of a sudden, if, if Casey Thompson is truly, able to go and can play well, then I think we, we have a legitimate chance. Yeah. I think that the circumstance, I just, I just don't know that he would make it the whole game. I just, I can't, I can't visualize that. Right. I agree with you. I think we, I think we have a chance for sure. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can find us online. If you search for college football throwdown on Apple podcasts or on Spotify, you can leave us some ratings and reviews, uh, leave a comment on one of the episodes. We'll always read that stuff out on the air. So thank you all for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.